Well, take your Bible and go with us to Mark chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5. They may be the two most abused words in the English language. Uh, We hear them often conveyed in one way or another almost every day in life, whether it be in a courtroom or a business deal or marriage vows or political speeches. And it is the thought or the words, trust me, trust me, just trust me. Trust is, it's an important element in relationships. Who can we trust and what can we trust them for? It's the great question. And before you say, well, I don't trust anyone, I've learned not to trust anyone, you do. Because you put your money in a banking account, you get on an airplane, you've never met the pilot or the mechanics that have worked on that plane. We do things by faith. We do put our trust in people. The doctor says, uh, you need to go and have this surgery. We trust the doctor usually to do that. And when you do trust someone, we need to know what we can trust them for because there are certain things we can trust people for, but we can't trust them for everything. For example, you might be able to trust me to guide you to McDonald's because I go there every day for my coffee and I can tell you how to get there. I can tell you the people's names in the, in the drive-thru when you're going through. But if you ask me to fix your car, you cannot trust me <laughs> to do that. I say all that to say this, that the message of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels wants to convey is that Jesus is saying to you and I, you can trust me. You can trust me. Not just with physical things, but we can trust him with our eternity because of who he is. And as we have been walking through the gospel of Mark, and especially the last few weeks, Mark chapter 5, the power of Jesus is on display. You remember at the end of chapter 4, he calms the storm and nature is obeying him. And then as we come into chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, we see his power over demons. We saw that last time. Today we're going to see his power over disease and his power over death. And these are, listen, these are not just stories. Even unbelievers agree that the Bible is the most supernatural collection of books ever written. And of course, we know that is true because it is not just books that are written by men. It is inspired by God himself. But you have 66 books with over 40 authors in three different continents, three different languages, over 1,500 years with perfect consistency and prophecies that have been fulfilled down to the very day, hundreds of years before. This is our guidebook for eternal life. It helps us be prepared for eternity. It also helps us be prepared for how to live life here. And so Mark is is writing to proclaim with authority that Jesus was and is far more than just a good teacher. He was not just a, a good teacher. He was not just a rabbi. He was not just a healer. He was not just an exorcist who cast out demons. He lays out evidence after evidence as do the other gospel writers, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. 
the Messiah. In fact, he begins this gospel, remember Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of who? Jesus Christ. Who? The Son of God. This is who he is presenting. It's the same as, as what John wrote in his gospel in John 20, verse 30, 31. He says, but these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He says, I'm writing these things so that you can know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John seek to show us this, that Jesus is the trustworthy one and that we can and we should believe in him alone for our eternal salvation. The question is simply, will you trust him as such? Will you accept his gift of salvation as we are celebrating this week through his death and his victorious resurrection? And so let's pick up in verse number 21, and I'm going to ask you if you're able to, to stand for the reading of God's word. Remember that the people in the gathering region wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus had just cast out the legion of demons out of the man, and then the people wanted nothing to do with him. They asked him to leave their region, and, and he does so. For sake of time, I'm going to read down through verse 34 this morning. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she fell and felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Father, once more we come to you. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray, in the next few moments. And Lord, speak to each and every one of us. Help us to be faithful to your word and allow your word to speak to our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's, there's a lot that we could say as we look at this section this morning, but I simply want to make some statements that I believe that the text clearly lays out for us, points of emphasis, application points. There are things that each of us can apply to our lives today, and we're going to break this up into two sermons, so I just want to give you two thoughts to take with you today as you go that we see in this section. The first thing that I want you to see clearly is that Jesus is no respecter of persons. We see this in verses 21 through 29. 
And this narrative, as well as the other narratives that we have been reading in the gospel, they continuously remind us of the accessibility of Jesus to all kinds of people. He is not like many religious leaders today or in the past who have lived in palaces, who have secluded themselves, who had protected themselves from even human contact. But Jesus' entire ministry is spent in the public, accessible to all, in the streets, in the highways, in the byways, in the fields, in the synagogues, in the homes of people by the sea, with an occasional time where he would retreat into a solitary place for the purpose of rest or for the purpose of instruction to his disciples or for the purpose of communicating and praying with his father, being alone with his father. But he always comes back to the crowds. It was to them that he had come. It was to the, the people that he had come. And this narrative in particular describes and introduces us to two people who find themselves in very desperate situations and they could not be any different, any more different in their background and in their life situations. First of all, we see this dignified synagogue ruler named Jairus. He would have been a highly religious man. He was the ruler of the synagogue. He would have been greatly respected in the Jewish community. He would have been above average when it came to wealth. And he would have been very knowledgeable and dignified in regards to the law. And so he is one of the people that we are introduced to. And then in contrast to him, we see this diseased woman who is unnamed. Her name is not even given to us. And she has had an issue of blood for 12 years and she's been rejected. Her, her condition had rendered her untouchable. She is a, a marked woman. She's an avoided woman. She has been cut off by both society and not allowed into the synagogue. She was well below average when it came to wealth because she had spent all that she had on doctors. She was a woman who was bleeding, who was bankrupt, who had been banned from places She was very broken. And Jairus and this diseased woman, they're an interesting duo. Notice they have no relationship to each other. We have no reason to even believe that they knew each other. But they're brought together in this text. Notice, one a man, one a woman. One rich, one poor. One respected, one rejected. One who was honored and the other who was shamed. One who was leading the synagogue, the other who was excommunicated from the synagogue. One with a 12-year-old daughter who was dying and one with a 12-year-old disease who was suffering. They remind us of what Mary had said in her worship of Jesus in Luke chapter 1 and verse 52 when she said, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Here is the perfect illustration of that. Although they are so different, they have so many things that have no comparison in their lives. There is one thing that they do have in common, and that is this, that they are both in a very desperate situation. And what we see about Jesus is that along with his power also comes his pity, his care. As he saw the the multitudes, he had compassion on them. It reminds me of a place that I frequent as a pastor, and that is an emergency room where it is crowded and packed with people 
who are looking for answers, someone who can help them. And the two individuals in our text, they are both coming to Jesus in desperation. And that's good because Jesus specializes in desperate situations, doesn't he? You may be here today and you don't, you don't see yourself desperate, but you are. I mean, you kind of see yourself as okay. There are a lot of people in our society today who don't consider themselves desperate because they never look at life outside of this life. They never look at life beyond this life. But the truth is, is that there is a God who created us and we are accountable to that God. And when we see ourselves as a sinner and we understand that the Bible says this, that the wages of our sin is eternal death, that you will find yourself in a very desperate standing before God. And that is a good place to be. It's a good place to be because it then allows you to trust Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, to trust the only one who is worthy of putting your trust in with your eternal soul. You can trust his death as your payment for sin and his resurrection as your victory over eternal death. And it doesn't matter if you have a lot of things materially or you're well-respected or you're a religious person, you've grown up a religious person like Jairus or you've been rejected, you've been an outcast, you are diseased like the woman with the issue of blood, I want you to see this morning that Jesus is no respecter of persons. He has come to all. He's available to all. The Bible says this, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Your background doesn't matter to him. Either way, he invites you into his family, into the family of God. Jairus is no doubt a very sophisticated leader of the Jewish community, but in this moment, nothing matters to him. He is in, a, he is a, in this moment a desperate father whose daughter is about to die, and he no longer cared about what his colleagues thought about him. He no longer cared about what the Jewish community, the, the religious elite of his day, thought of him. He needed Jesus. And that's a good place to be, when you no longer care about what other people think about you and your religious background and you come desperate knowing that Jesus is the only one who can save you. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus as the crucified and resurrected Savior, you're more desperate than you realize. And I hope this morning that The Holy Spirit of God will awaken you. And I want you to know this this morning, that Jesus is available to you. He's available for salvation. He's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you've had a lot. It doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if you've had nothing or you consider yourself the chiefest of sinners. Jesus will save you today if you will come to him. And that brings us to the second and last point this morning And that is that Jesus responds to humble and feeble faith. What we see in this story, first of all, is that Jesus is no respecter of persons. He clearly lays out two people from two very different backgrounds. But what he does show us is that in both situations, he responds to humble, feeble faith. We see this in verse 22 and 23. 
And we also see it in verses 30 through 34, which we'll look at in more detail next time. No doubt Jairus was not looked upon in a good light by his religious peers when he turned to Jesus. Remember, Jesus was no longer welcomed in their synagogues. Remember when Jesus first came teaching, he went to the synagogues to teach. But once he cast out that demon in the synagogues and made an uproar there, they wanted nothing to do with him. He wasn't welcomed back there. So he starts going into their houses. He goes throughout the seaside and he begins to teach there. And verse 22 tells us that not only did Jairus come to Jesus, but he came in great humility and great desperation and he fell at his feet. I can just imagine all the the snobby religious elite, his colleagues, as he goes and bows before the one that they've kicked out of their synagogues and who they really want dead because they believe him to be a heretic. But Jairus didn't care. I believe that Jairus put his faith in Jesus Christ. You see, he couldn't believe in the cross because it hadn't happened yet. He couldn't believe in the resurrection like we're going to celebrate Sunday. And as we do every Sunday, when we talk about he is risen, he is risen indeed. It had not happened yet. What could he believe? He could believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Holy One of God, as the demon had proclaimed him to be earlier in the chapter. He was the Son of God, as he himself claimed to be. He was the Messiah that Old and New Testament prophets had prophesied of him. He could have believed as Jesus had taught them to believe, to believe in in Jesus as the Redeemer of Israel and the Savior of the world who alone could bring redemption from sin. The gospel of the kingdom which Jesus had preached day after day in that very town That was all that there was for this man to believe. Aren't you thankful that you and I live in a day and age where we can look back and believe at the cross and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? This man believed. It it would be the same situation. You say, I don't know. He didn't believe in the death and resurrection. It's the same situation that the publican was in when he beat up on his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what did Jesus say? This man went home. What? Justified. Saved. Jairus didn't care anymore how they felt about him. He had something bigger. And listen, when you find yourself in a desperate situation, you'll no longer care about what everybody else thinks about you. And by the way, I would not spend an eternity in hell separated from God for one person on this earth. In the first 20 verses, we see the conversation in the conversion of a demoniac, a man whose life had been ravaged by demon possession. And now we come to a religious and educated man who must turn from his faith in religion and intellect and he must put his faith in Jesus. And listen, I'm stressing this because I believe with all my heart that there are a lot of people today who do not see themselves as great sinners. They see themselves as okay. They have religion in their life, but they are one day gonna stand before God and they're gonna say, we did all these things in your name. We went to church. We, we, we did all the X's and O's. We got all the badges. And you know what the Bible says? That Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Because it is not about faith in a religion. It is about faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And his atoning death on the cross and his resurrection. And then we see the same 
faith in the heart of this woman with the blood issue. She had faith enough to come, and I love this, that she had courage enough to confess him publicly. I've learned this through the year, years of preaching and ministry that secret disciples are weak disciples. And that, Ma- and that Romans 10, 9 says this, that we are to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus as well as believe in our hearts that God hath raised him from the dead. And look at verse 33. But the woman fearing and trembling, she thought she might be in trouble knowing what was done in her, that she may have come and abused the grace and power of Jesus, that she wasn't supposed to be around anyone and now she has come to touch him, that she came and she fell down before him and told him all the truth. She poured her heart out to Jesus. She told him the whole story, although he already knew the whole story. She told him her condition, how embarrassing and socially damning it was, but that she had heard of Jesus and she had put her faith in Jesus and her hope in Jesus. And I love, notice what Jesus says to her, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. I wonder when the last time was that she had been called daughter by anyone. Twelve years in seclusion. And Jesus says, daughter... Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Behold thy plague. It was her faith in Jesus, not the touch of his garment that made her whole. And Jesus put her in his family, sealed her faith, and secured her future. And let me just say this morning, it's the same faith. It's the same kind of faith in Jesus that he's asking for us in simple faith to believe, to believe in him. Oh, you believe in something. You believe, if you believe in an afterlife, you believe that something is going to get you into a heaven, a paradise. But Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. In other words, there's only one way, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I can promise you this, you will not regret Coming to faith in Jesus. I I won't promise you riches. I won't promise you. In fact, here's what I'll promise you. Difficulty if you do. Rejection from some people if you do. Nick. But I can tell you this. It will be worth it all in the end. I would rather live a difficult life with Jesus and knowing that heaven is my home and I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus forever. I would rather live in difficulty in this life and have that in eternity than to have the best that this life has to offer and all the acceptance and spend eternity in hell. These narratives in chapter 5, they're another powerful reminder that we're, we're all going to die. Did you know this, that even though Jairus' daughter was healed, which we'll look at next week, I'm sorry, she wasn't just healed, she was raised back to life. Did you know that there did come a day where they did have her funeral? Did you know that this woman who was healed with this issue of blood, that even though she lived and she was healed, that there did finally come a day where she died? It is appointed unto man wants to die and the truth is that unless Jesus comes back and we're taken in the rapture that we will all leave this earth by way of death 
You say, you're just full of good news in your sermons, aren't you? (laughs) Actually, I am. Because the gospel is not only good news, it is the best news. And in order to get the best news, you have to understand the bad news. The bad news is the wages of our sin is death. The great news is that the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, is eternal life. It's great news. In another morbid illustration, I want you to look at your hand real quickly. Look at it closely. There's not a lot of things that I remember in my childhood, but one thing I remember a lot about was the hand of my grandmother, Jason. I remember I used to sit there in church, other places, and I would play with her hands and She called them age spots. I don't know what you call them, but she had those little brown spots on her hand. Yeah, go ahead and call it freckle all you want to, but (laughs) it's an age spot. As we look at our hands even now, this is what I want you to remember, that one day this, this will be the hand of a corpse. This hand that is moving and is alive now, and you might say, well, mine, I'm still young. Mine looks pretty, pretty good. It's going to grow. It's going to get age spots, and eventually it's going to be the hand of a corpse. Eventually it's going to be the hand of a skeleton. And what are you going to do about that? Nothing then. But my point is this. Are you, are you prepared for that unavoidable Date with death. Something that we cannot avoid. Jesus, I want to tell you again this morning, the same thing that the gospel writers are trying to prove, the same thing that we see in this story and other stories. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the only way to eternal life. And the great news is that if you will just in simple, humble faith, like these Two examples in our story, put your faith in Jesus. You say, what am I putting my faith in? That he was the Messiah, the Son of God, that he died for your sins on the cross, and that he rose victorious over the grave. This Bible, such a supernatural book, has the instructions for eternal life in it. If we will just put our faith and trust in what it says and put our faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads this morning, close your eyes. I'm going to ask Gideon, if you would, to come and just play softly on the piano. Those that are going to be baptized this morning, you can go ahead and make your way there and be preparing for that. There will be people there to help you. Some of our staff will help you there. Before we go any further this morning, the gospel has been given, and I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to it this morning. I wonder how many of you would say this morning, Josh, I, I, can, I know in my heart I can, I can look back in my life and there was a time where I put my faith in Jesus Christ and my faith is in him alone. It's not in anything else. I believe in his death and burial and resurrection. I've, I've been saved. 
I know that without a shadow of a doubt. And because of that, I know that if something were to happen to me today on my way home, that I would spend an eternity with him because it's not about my works. It's about what he did on the cross for me. It's about his victory over the grave. And I know that. I've put my faith in that. And I will just give you testimony to that. I know that for a fact this morning. Would you just raise your hand as a testimony of that? It's great. You may put your hands down. I wonder if there's somebody that would just say, I don't know that. There's never come a time where I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't know if something were to happen to me today where I would spend eternity. But I want to know And today, I I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Nobody's looking, but would you just slip up your hand and let me pray for you? Anybody like that this morning? I want to know. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I understand. I understand, and I want to put my faith in him alone for salvation. Don't be bashful. Don't be ashamed of it. Just... Slip your so what's everybody going to say? I can tell you what everybody in here is going to say. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Rejoice. Anyone like that this morning? Maybe you've been saved, but you've never publicly, courageously made that a public statement to other people that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never done that by baptism like some are here going to do and I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to talk to us, to to follow up with that. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning a different message. But I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in the hearts of people who are here, people who are watching. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would draw them to you. If they've never put their faith in you, that they would come to faith in you. And, Lord, we pray for Christians here. Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you would help us, Lord, to have a heart for those that we know and love who don't know you. We thank you for these that are about to publicly, before our church, before the world, proclaim their faith in Christ. We pray that your will would be done in all that's done here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Brian if you would just let's stand together. We're going to sing one verse this morning. If God's spoken to your heart this morning and you want to come for any reason, we want to give you a chance to do that this morning. If God's spoken to you, come as Brian sings.